The gospel for this day comes from Luke chapter 18. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. As just a short note before the sermon formally starts, we noticed this week in a Bible study upon reading the Old Testament and the Psalm, two readings that were just assigned for the day, that one of the signs of God's grace and love and mercy to creation is the fall of rain. And it felt like a very appropriate week to give thanks for that. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we just heard a parable from Jesus today. A parable, of course, being a story that isn't factual, but is nevertheless true. In that spirit, I would like to share a story of my own, which is, I think, both things. It is factual. It did happen. And it taught me something true about myself and maybe for you. Some years ago, when my daughter was about four, she and I went to the Seattle Center for an exhibition that was meant especially for kids. We took the day off, kind of a fun mother-daughter day, day off from preschool, and we packed a lunch, and we got up early, and we took the bus downtown, and then we took the monorail to Seattle Center. It was maybe this time of year. It was late fall, you know, kind of verging toward winter. It was, it was cold, but a bright day. If you've taken the monorail, you know that when you get off at Seattle Center, you are near the armory where there are lots of food options. And, of course, being Seattle, a generously sized Starbucks. Even at four years old, my daughter knew what she liked to order at Starbucks. And so, as we walked off the monorail and she saw the telltale dark green logo, she said, Can we get Starbucks, Mom? Well, I mean, it's hard for me to say no, so sure, there you go. So we walked off the monorail platform and towards Starbucks. And as we did this, we saw an older woman sitting on the ground across from us, asking passersby for help. As I recall, she had kind of a light coat on, but it was cold enough that it seemed unlikely she would be truly warm. She was simply sitting and asking people who walked by if they might have any extra change or some other way that they could help her. And my daughter noticed her too, and she asked me some questions. Why is she there? What does she need? And after a short conversation between the two of us, she said, well, can we give her some money, Mom? You may well have found yourself in a situation a lot like this. There are all kinds of reasons why people find themselves excluded from our pretty relentless economy why it's so hard to afford housing or medical care 
how quickly many of us could go from being relatively secure to pretty vulnerable. Most people in this country are one unexpected expense away from losing something big, a home, a job, child care, medical care, or all of the above and more. I know all of that. I know all the statistics and the studies, and I can talk about it with great familiarity and at length in the abstract, like right now, when we are in this nice, safe, warm, dry room together. I also know that handing somebody cash doesn't always result in the best outcome. You might expect a pastor to have some sort of procedure for this moment, but I have to confess to you that I don't. That when faced with a fellow human being in immediate need, I often struggle to know what to do. To be asked in that moment by my young, impressionable, kind-hearted child what to do, and then to try to do it in front of her, adds another level of complexity. And to be honest, in that moment, I just kind of froze. Then I remembered that we were going to a place where we could at least buy someone a meal. So I said, how about if we get her something from Starbucks? And we agreed to do that. We walked in, we placed our order, hot chocolate for my daughter, the biggest latte they had for me, because we had left the house early to catch the bus, and I had not had my morning coffee, which is good for no one. And we picked out what we thought was the most filling, healthy, delicious item we could buy, which was an everything bagel toasted with cream cheese. We took it outside, and we walked across to the woman sitting on the ground. Now, as long as I've confessed one thing to you this morning, I'll admit to something else, which is that I was pretty, feeling pretty good about myself at this point. I felt like I had figured out a solution that was appropriate and helpful and could be a good example for my daughter to follow. Felt like I had navigated this psychological minefield in my head about how do I explain things, how do I help without necessarily handing out cash. We walked confidently across, and I knelt down so that I could be at eye level with this woman, and I said, we wondered if you would like this bagel. It's warm, and it's toasted, and it has cream cheese with it. You could practically hear my brain check off its good deed for the day. Now, before I go any further, let's just ask yourself, what is something that I have not done so far in the story? Just think about that for a minute. Okay, I handed the bagel to the woman, but she didn't take it. She looked at me and said, kindly but firmly, I don't eat bagels, could I have that instead? And she pointed at my latte. <laughs> In that moment, I realized two things. One, I was a tired mom with a four-year-old in a big city with a big day ahead of us. I needed that latte like nobody's business, and I immediately resented the idea that I should give it up to anybody ever. Pretty sure that my facial expression reflected my thought process about that. And two, I was a well-intentioned person who had been incredibly, stunningly arrogant. What had I not done? I had not even asked. 
I had not treated this woman like a human being with food preferences, maybe allergies or medical needs. Not even tried to talk to her before I decided what was best for her. A warm bagel, everything bagel with cream cheese. I meant well, I'm not gonna beat myself up about it, but I had not treated her as if she was someone like me. I had treated her like an object that I could fix, a problem I could solve, an example that I could show my child. You can practically hear Jesus whispering in my ear. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. This parable from Jesus today is not hard to understand at all. It's extremely clear. It's just also extremely uncomfortable. Because most of us are well-intentioned people. Most of the time, we are really trying to do our best in a complicated world. It's easy to read this parable and distance ourselves from the Pharisee, who is, after all, not a likable guy. But remember that the Pharisee is just a person who's committed to his faith tradition, to religious education, to showing up in worship regularly, which means he is not that different from me and you. In addition, if we read this parable and we decide that the moral of the story is, thank goodness I'm not like that Pharisee, we might have missed the point. Think for a moment about what that parable would have looked like, like, looked like if it was actually happening. Try to envision the temple in your mind and these two characters, where they're standing. Although you actually don't have to work very hard at that because Jesus tells us very clearly that the Pharisee is standing by himself and the tax collector is standing far off. Whatever other details there are about the temple, the location or the smell or whatever the prayers sounded like, the two human beings in this story are standing as far apart from each other as they can possibly get. And it's clear that the distance between them is not just physical, that emotionally, spiritually, on every level, they are miles apart. They have written each other off. It's too different to even approach one another. The distance between them grows greater with every moment. It's, it's like a magnet when you try to put two magnets together and they just repel each other and nothing you can do will bring them together, which, by the way, do you remember why that happens? It happens because you're trying to put two magnets that have the same energy together. Opposites really do attract when it comes to magnets anyway. The things that repel are the things that are actually the same. Jesus is telling us a parable today. But parables have truth in them. What would it have looked like for the Pharisee and the tax collector to turn toward each other, to move toward each other instead of apart? To start with the assumption that they're actually more alike than they are different. To honor the vast gaps in their experiences and their access to power and their position in society. But to see buried deep underneath all of that that they are both standing at the same altar, praying to the same God, that they are both beloved children of that God. 
I heard an author say this week that our world is engaged in what he called a rollicking, roiling conversation about how human life should work at practically every level. I like that, rollicking and roiling. I prefer it to my usual description of the world as it is, which is hot mess. <laughs> this is different from the majority of human history, he said, in which either a, a monarch or a dictator made the decisions for everybody, which is efficient but dangerous in ways that we can all think about. In a free society, which has really only been around in human history for a couple hundred years, the idea is to give everybody a voice in the decisions, which is wonderful and a rollicking, roiling mess. But, he said, if we get to a place where we, we believe, we see each other as fundamentally different, if we continue to turn away from each other rather than toward each other, Every time we write somebody off and say, that person is never going to understand me and I'm never going to understand them, let's just quit trying. The more we do that, the more distance we build between us, the less chance we have that that rollicking, roiling conversation is going to build something good. Problems we face as humans are so overwhelming at times that we do shut down. We do encounter people that we think, I just can't. I just can't. And so we walk away. What would have happened if instead of seeing the woman at Seattle Center as somebody fundamentally different than me, I had started by sitting down and asking her about herself? Not how I could fix things or solve things, and certainly not by bringing her a solution she had never actually asked for. What if instead of walking away from her as I came off the monorail, I had walked toward her instead? I couldn't have fixed everything for her. She couldn't have fixed everything for me. But maybe we could have just been human together, sitting together, finding a way forward together. Maybe that Pharisee could have looked over at the tax collector long enough to have seen the fervor of his prayer to see him as a fellow human being wanting to connect with God, maybe the tax collector could have stopped beating himself up long enough to notice that he was standing at the same altar as the Pharisee and reached out his hand. That author I mentioned earlier ended his comments with these words. He said, as humans, we have built this incredibly fragile thing where we're going to build the future together by talking about it. But right now, we're squandering it. It's a reminder that God has given us as gifts to one another. To tear down what is unjust and rebuild what is good together. And for all the big problems that need solutions, probably none of them are possible until we do the one small thing Jesus tells us about today. The small thing Jesus always did the small thing we can do, as hard as it is, because Jesus lives in us. That is to take our first step toward each other instead of away. And believe audaciously, impossibly, that in one another we will find the image of God. Amen.